everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is an existential podcast for musicians. Are you even a musician if you're not on the brink or having an existential crisis? I don't think so. This is for you. This is also for music fans because we take deep dives with your favorite musicians. And today we are talking to Dan Rico. We're going to get to Dan in a second, but I want to let you know about our upcoming group session. If you're a new listener, group session is a live taping of the music therapy podcast where I talk to a full band. We get into the band dynamics. They give a live performance. We have comedy by Leslie Tanner, and it all happens at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. And our next one is going to be on Wednesday, May 10th, and we are going to feature Chicago band Ovef Ow. They are such a fun band. I hope you guys will join us. That's on Wednesday, May 10th. Doors are at 8. We start right at 8.30. This is therapist time, not punk time. Today I'm talking with Dan Rico, and here's Dan's bio. Dan Rico is a songwriter, guitar player, and multi-instrumentalist from Chicago, living in Brooklyn, New York. Rico writes music and performs in the surf rock group High Wasted, and plays guitar in the grunge band Dropper. He just got back from South by Southwest. Rico also releases music under his own name, collating inspirations as disparate as Prince, T-Rex, Os Mutantes, and Taylor Swift. So that's Dan's bio. He's also a friend of mine. Prior to moving to New York, he was a fixture in the Chicago music scene. He's an amazing musician and songwriter, and we're going to listen to some of his new music in this conversation. We get into what it was like to move to New York right before the pandemic, adjusting to a new city as a musician, his experience at South by Southwest, drinking, some imposter syndrome, and a lot more. And uh, just in case you were curious, the track that's been accompanying this intro is called Better Company. That's one of my songs, and Dan Rico actually played bass on it. Uh, Joshua Wentz, who engineers the episodes of Music Therapy, also played on it, as well as Adam Wiebe drum. I just thought it would be fun to... Uh, put a song that Dan and I worked on together um, on his episode. Okay, let's get right to my conversation with Dan Rico. so much for being on the show today hello <laughs> thank you for having me jessica uh okay so here's the first question i ask everybody can you describe to us a typical week in your life these days a typical week is probably um sprinkled with 
maybe four or five just different like rehearsals, sessions, that kind of thing. Um, I play in a couple different bands and usually each of those will get together at least once a week. And then um, I'll also have a few friends that I invited over to help me um, help me record and uh, flesh out songs. Um, and I try to keep that rotating as much as possible at this point. Um, I'm not holding down a conventional job right now. I saved a bunch of money last year bartending mm -hmm. in order that I should um, be able to take a few months off just to like focus purely on music. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do that. I spend a, a lot of time writing. Um, this year I got like a full size, just like electric piano in my room. And that's been a huge um, boon for my songwriting process. Um, I'm traditionally like a guitar player and uh, and a bass player. And I, I've always used piano to sprinkle in, um, you know, like like recorded information, MIDI and that kind of thing. But actually writing songs on that has been a big part of my process lately. So I've been spending a lot of time playing piano. Um, and then, yeah, you know, as a, as far as downtime goes, um, you know, I, I basically cook all my meals at this point. Um, I'm not a great cook, but I like to eat as cheaply as possible and, mm -hmm. and have control over like my nutritional input. Um, and I walk my dog a lot, got a little dog. Um, and I try to go see shows as well. So that's kind of like my main, um, excursion most weeks is going to see friends play. Um, there's like so much great live music in New York. It's sort of the thing where even if you're just rolling the dice on a random show, you'll often find really uh, amazing musicians or um, really thoughtful lyricists. And it's a you know big source of inspiration for me to do that. So right now, my life is very much revolve, revolves around creating music, I'd say. Um, and then maybe late at night, I watch TV and stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> <Read>. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, interested in, you know, you, this period of time, so you worked a lot as a bartender, saved up some money and then wanted to take some time off. Did you, do you have a certain amount of time you're trying to take off? Um, basically until my coffers get, um, you know, alarmingly low. <laughs> but right now I, I definitely wanted to take off, um, enough time to get me through South by Southwest where I just was with one of my bands. And, um, I had a little, like a wedding that I went to last weekend. So that was sort of the end game. And now I'm back and I still have, you know, I, I managed to make it stretch a little bit longer than I hope. So I still have some time, um, before I have to really think about getting a job again. But, mm -hmm. um, this whole process was sort of inspired by, um, my past living in Chicago, growing up there and, um, just hating the winters. Mm -hmm. so much that I would, you know, I was motivated to do the same thing, basically, um, you know, work, work for nine months. And then after New Year's Eve and all the festivities had sort of faded away, um, going down, I'd stayed in like New Orleans one year and Atlanta another year. And it was such a, um, such a helpful experience. I didn't feel like I missed anything <laughs> by uh, yeah. being down by being down there for like January and February and most yeah. of March, March or something, you know. So I was like, I'll do that in New York, but I'm actually just going to stay here because I have a studio at my house. Yeah. What 
is there a difference in your music making when you are also factoring in a job in your day-to-day versus when you're not working? I can definitely say that there is. I'm trying to parse out in my head what that different, what those, there, and there are probably many differences. Um, I guess just having time is a huge help. <laughs> um, I, I suppose to, to, to disclaim that, I'm, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have deadlines and have a limited amount of time to be able to complete projects, complete mm-hmm. songs, that kind of thing. Um, but it's been nice to just sort of step off that rigorous grind and wheel of, you know, feeling compelled to like work and be super um, productive and active at all times, which has been most of my adult life and really be like, what makes me happy? And try to try to think in terms of those terms or think in those terms when I'm um, when I'm allotting my time. Um, and as far as songwriting goes, it's just given me a lot of breath to explore and um, think about how I want to structure songs and let go of things too. You know, like when every song feels a little bit less precious these days, where I can kind of take it or leave it, finish it, not finish it. And really just take, follow where, uh, follow my nose, so to speak, um, as far as what I really think is good, um, without feeling like I'm leaving something else behind because there's so much time to explore. Okay. Because you have so much more time, it kind of takes some pressure off of each thing that you're working on. Okay, cool. Um, you wrote something in, in the forum that I liked how it was phrased and I want to ask you about it. So here's what you wrote. Lately when writing, I've been trying to vault over the seductiveness of pastiche. Uh, what do you mean by that? Okay, so um, I love music. Well, <laughs> I love music. But, <laughs> music uh, is neat. Yeah, music is awesome. Um, <laughs> but I like a lot of music, you know, from, um, you know, basically like the 50s through like the 80s. That's like kind of my 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 favorite eras, you know, um, I once was watching, I was recently watching an interview with this, uh, like electronic dance artist, Jesse Lanza. And she talks about music from the seventies and she's like, I love it so much because, um, pop music was such a, just such a broader spectrum of sounds and ideas. You know, you could have like Joni Mitchell on the one hand or like, I don't know, like, a, like a disco, you know, the Bee Gees, and those are all mm. pop music, you know, and they're all on the radio and it's so much, so much broader and more, more interesting than some might say than um, the current spectrum, which is very, I, I think has plenty of its own merits, but anyway, that being my favorite type of music, it's also music that's um, in some ways readily duplicatable, like in home studios and stuff today, you know, mm-hmm. drums, guitar, those are the things that I can play and, 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 um, and lay down pretty well. And, most of my um most of my songwriting in the past i feel has um instinctually um driven strove to duplicate those sounds you know i love prince i'll write a little lick or a song or a piece of a song that sounds kind of like prince and then i'm going to try to finish that prince song mm-hmm. you know or a t-rex song or, or whatever these different um these different bands that that i really love a lot that are a big part of, um, what inspires me. So, um, last year in one of the bands high wasted that I play in, 
we created a couple of tracks that were very much um, homage to sort of like the Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra, um, semi-exotica, like Austin Powers, Groovadelic style music from mm-hmm. like, the late 60s that I, I love, you know, I really love. And we, I felt like we were really successful at it. Like I love the way the songs turned out. It made me really, really, really happy. Um, but afterwards I was like, wow, we're still just kind of duplicating something that's been done before, you know? And that's something that I've done a lot in the past is like, you know, trying to write songs that sound like the Rolling Stones or that sound like this band or that band that I love. And what I've sort of decided is that in order to bring a different sort of value to my music, what I want to do now is be able to take that power to, um, to reproduce different styles mm-hmm. or sounds, but really draw from disparate sources for, for each song and synthesize them into something that like actually is new and different and, um, try to make it feel more contemporary and, you know, not just, um, reviving the past. If that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Are there any artists that you like that you feel are doing that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not, I'm trying to think of anything, if anything, just, um, completely jumps to mind right now. I was actually, um, inspired a lot and this is it's a it's ironic because it's an older artist but i saw um then there's like a new david bowie documentary biopic that came out last year um called boon age daydream that i saw in theaters with a friend recently which i actually thought was not good at all it was not a great biopic but um he talked they he kind of in an interview he talks about doing that he's like i'm not really an artist i just take all these different things and put them together i literally just steal things and add, and add them all, all up you know and i was like oh that's kind of interesting um, but I'm like, should I go into like my Spotify liked songs? <laughs> uh, you could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no pressure. No pressure. Thank you. <laughs> I'm removing the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let me think of some stuff, I guess. I guess, yeah, that artist member I, I mentioned, uh, Jesse Lanz a little while. I love her work. It's awesome. It's like dance music. When I first heard it, I thought it was from the eighties, but she's still killing it. So mm-hmm. I, got, I got to see her play in, um, in New York, uh, like a few months ago or something last time they were here. Um, I just saw so many amazing artists at South by Southwest. Honestly, that was really cool. Let's talk about, let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah. What was South by Southwest like for you? Um, back to the screen. Um, it was smaller than it has been. Um, the last time I think I went was in 2018, maybe 2019, um, right before COVID. And it was just at that point, every show, there was a huge line to get in. Uh Um, even with like an artist badge or that kind of thing, it would take forever to get from place to place. Logistically, the downtown, downtown Austin was just completely clogged up. You couldn't get anywhere. Um, so it was kind of a mess and all these shows, you know, the shows had, it seemed like bigger billing and they had these sort of like manufactured corporate like the levi's fader fort and stuff like that like downtown um so it kind of felt like you were walking around at like six flags great america or something for music Uh um which wasn't a good feeling (laughs) 
you know, it felt very detached from the experience of like being a musician and playing music. Yeah. Like and an indie stressful. musician. Yeah. Yeah, stressful. exactly. How stressful. Yeah. Um, but now it seems like COVID actually took a lot of that away in a good way. It felt mm-hmm. very localized, um, smaller places. The venues weren't as full. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it was so easy to just pop from little venue to little venue the way it used to be and, um, just see different music everywhere, you know? And, um, a lot of the programming that I saw was just awesome. I saw a lot of world music. Um, um, it was incredibly obvious that like most of the rock bands that played were fronted by women, you know, mm-hmm. it was a very, very different vibe. Um, and then just that, yeah, a lot more diversity in general. And that just, it felt exciting because as somebody who's been playing guitar forever and like worships that the style, you know, rock music and that style of music, um, it often feels like it's become old hat um, uh-huh. to me, you know, um, not that it's like invalid, but um, in many ways, just in terms of public perception, it's sort of like jazz or something where it's not part of the um, con conversation in mainstream taste or something maybe like aesthetic elements of it can be sprinkled in but it's uh it's been completely absorbed and seeing the the diversity and the excitement made me feel like no it's still a valid thing to be doing and there's like still still work to be done in terms of writing music like that let's take a little music break here uh, let's okay, listen cool. to one of your tracks. Can you tell us about your song? This is an upcoming single. Can you tell us about your track called Conceited? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this song, um, you know, started off as like a little voice memo. And it was a very, very, very simple acoustic song that just kind of like jumped, just popped right out. It was one of the ones that flowed out very easily, lyrically, mm-hmm. thematically. Um and it's sort of a you know it's just like sort of a loving breakup song i guess that's lyrically what what the themes the theme is um and then i took it and played with a bunch of samples and just kind of arranged it in a way that i was hoping would be a little bit more exciting than just like a casual um casual folk song so it's sort of like a folk song uh superimposed with some interesting beats and weird sounds and um i don't know i just try to make it sound fun and different so cool okay let's let's take a listen this is conceded by dan rico
you talked about recording style and saying that you really love a live band recording versus, you know, virtual instruments and beats. Uh, Talk to me about that. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, So I've I've maintained a practice of recording for a pretty long time now Um, on my own with, with, with other bands, you know, for, the better part of like 10 years or so. And then just my own projects, literally my own music um, regularly for at least like six or seven years. Um, mm-hmm. And recently um, I spent some time kind of pouring over a lot of that work, um, especially one of my tasks while I was on my, uh, well, while I have not been holding down a conventional job was to arrange my music library of all this stuff, you know, all these, um, logic files and, and that kind of thing of, of music mm-hmm. that I've been recording for all this time that has been just haphazardly placed among like, you know, <laughs> 10 different hard drives that some of them busted, just trying to figure it out, you know, finally yeah. confronting the monster or whatever. And so <laughs> I, it, it, that resulted in me pouring over a lot of stuff that I've recorded, um, and being able to see it with like a little bit more of an objective eye. Um, mm-hmm. Often I'll just kind of, after I record something and put it out, I just don't ever listen to it again. So, um, and what I found why? is why, why, why don't you, yeah. Why don't you listen to it again? Um, just cause usually in the process of um, creating it, I spend so much time with it mm-hmm. and I, I, I'll, I will listen to it again, but I'll give it a long time before I do. You know, yeah, because I'm just sick of it, <laughs> and yeah. like you know, I, I, <laughs> totally. I just hear things I want to change, and it's I want to get away from that. So it's easier to just focus on new things, and li- mm-hmm. and there's so much to listen to. I mean, we could talk about that, like just the the sheer volume of possibility. If you're trying to turn anything on at any at any point, you know, there's just a lot to get totally. Through. So yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, upon doing so, upon reviewing all that music, I realized the stuff I really liked the best was like even the. Sh- shittiest recordings of like live bands that I've played in had felt like they just had so much charm and vivacity. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just something that was, I immediately felt was absent from the tracks that, um, were created with, you know, with, with sampled instruments and beats and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And yeah, it just made me, it just made me kind of revalue that a lot because there is sort of this uh, premise that's, that's given to, that's advertised to home producers that you can recreate anything in a studio nowadays, you know, but, um, but you can't recreate another human being and the collaborative process and like all, everything they bring to, per, the, you know, all the personality they bring to the table when they're, when they're performing and the different, the slightly different ways they might, um, you know, interpret scales or rhythm or, or anything, you know, and having those subtle differences coalesce is what collaboration is all about. And it, for me, that, um, is sort of a secret sauce in making something that's really beautiful. You can do it without it, but I, I feel like maybe it happens more readily when you have some really great musicians in the room with you. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know uh, what you think about this, but I also feel like a recording of a live band captures an energy that, you know, you can't quite get if you're, first of all, I, I make collage style music and logic all the time. So I, yeah. I like doing that, but I feel like a, a live band has a certain, there's a certain great recordings. I think capture the life that was in that performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like when you can, and I love making collage style music too. And you know, that track conceded that we just played is that there's no live band element except the instruments that I'm playing. So, but, um, yeah, like look at something like, you know, Yankee hotel Foxtrot or something. Mm -hmm. It's like got all these live band elements and these collage elements, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really cool place to place to take it. You know, you can have, you can't have both. And there's so much yeah. to be learned and gained from like just creating shit by yourself, sorry, stuff by yourself in your bedroom, you know, but after, I think it's just coming out of COVID and literally doing that for two and a yes. half, three years straight. I was just like, wow, actually sure. Maybe being in a band can, and arranging this and, or paying for it and all that stuff can, can be trying and difficult, but it's so worth it actually <laughs> to, to create, I've um, meaningful recordings and, and, uh, performances and stuff. Yeah. I've been really aware of, of how your environment, uh, slash living situation can inform the music that you make. I mean, we were living together in the Ottoman empire and there was pretty much a anything goes kind of rule unless it's like crazy late at night, play drums, practice, band practice, whatever, which yeah. was amazing. It was very freeing. Now I'm in a room where my four-year-old sleeps on the other side of this wall and so it's a lot yeah. harder for me. I, I don't have the drum kit in here anymore. I, I'm not going to crank up the amp the way that I was. And so I'm playing with little synth modules and things yeah, like and that. Yeah, and you got your headphones on probably, you know. And headphones are on. Yeah, yeah, so, totally. And, and I'm, I think, you know, they're thinking about somebody, you know, my bandmate Josh, he has his, a house in Portage Park. He's got a basement. He can do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think about a place like New York, and I'm curious about your experience where you know, how much do you have to keep your neighbors in mind? How loud can you get? How does yeah, that? Ab absolutely. And yeah, that's a great uh, question. Um, it's, it's a really hard place to make music, you know, like, I mean, we're lucky that we live in a time where, you know, they literally make attenuators that you can put on top of your like loud amp in order to make it as quiet as possible with the exact same tone, you know, like we, uh -huh. we like we can, it's crazy that we can do that. We can continue to be musicians and write, um, and record with a four-year-old sleeping in the next room. You know, it, it's pretty cool that we have that capability. Um, yeah. But, um, and that allows us to sort of maintain a, the balance of 
continue to be creative while working or living our lives, which is great. But, yeah. um, um, but yeah, New York is, nobody has any space and nobody has any time, you know, just take whatever you've got in Chicago and cut in, in half or, or what have you, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's like working very hard and, um, well, that's, that's, that's part of the, that's a big part of the story. That's like most people. So, you know, I live, many people live in these apartments that are literally just, you know, um, three bedrooms surrounding like a small, like living room, dining room, kitchen combination and a bathroom. And that's it. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no space. So, um, so the most popular thing to do is to, um, you know, get a practice space, but that still limits Uh your capability in terms of recording because you, you know, set up a microphone and then like the thrash metal band next door starts pumping away, you know? Right. Um, so I think that that has had a huge impact on, um, uh, the rise and, um, ubiquity of electronic music in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, the culture is such that there, there's obviously there are a bazillion scenes here the same way there are in Chicago, but right away I found there's a much more prevalent like electronic music scene, like a dance, mm-hmm. mu- a dance scene, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I attributed to how much easier it would be able to produce that music and practice that music, a right. solo and be like, you know, with headphones on and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's definitely tricky and, um, it's much harder to maintain a consistent collaborative practice with other people you know, um, I, I feel, and then that part of that might just be, you know, being a musician in my thirties instead of a musician in my twenties or what have you. But, um, the, the, the ability to, you know, I don't have the ability anymore to hang out every single day with my bandmates and just jam and practice and see whatever happens, you know, and get really tight and do that whole you know, black flag story, <laughs> which used to be uh-huh. the case, used to be the case, you know, we'd all just be hanging out, like just with less time and space, it's much harder to organize that kind of um, community, I think. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, you also have like this hyper amount of wealth here. There's so many, there's, there are all these people that, um, you know, I think there's like a hundred thousand millionaires in New York or something, you know, uh-huh. or, or, or some, something like that. But it's just, it's, it's, incredible by like to me by the by the standard that i was under that i was used to in chicago mm-hmm. um so you also have some uh you just have like these crazy like elaborate studios and some people just have all the time in the world and all the money in the world <laughs> you know so yeah. so and sometimes you have to compare yourself to them and you don't understand why they have all this all this great um you know skill and and uh and equipment and access and you kind of have to temper your own expectations with the reality of what uh what your world looks like like um maybe that's a bit of a digression but it's a definitely no, a, I, I th- yeah i think that's uh that's really interesting does that shape your morale yeah i mean to some extent i think a lot of people are pretty jaded about it um but i think that that's just part of the that's just part of the, that's just the way it is basically you know and yeah. um you can have like a, you know, a rich so-called Nepo baby or something who's really good. It happens, you know, (laughs) it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, 
let's take another music break here. Let's, can you tell us about your track? This is called Hit and Run. Yeah. So Hit and Run, it's kind of um, contrary to what my mission statement was earlier. It's kind of like the ultimate pastiche. It's, it's very glam rock. It's very um, Bowie-esque in the chorus. Um, but it's notably, it's probably the first um, fully fleshed out song I've composed on piano. So that's okay. cool. And I got to play with a lot more um, without being sort of limited to the fretboard and the shapings of a guitar. I got to flesh out a lot more interesting chords and stuff than I normally would, I think, in, in the song. And uh, it's very progressively um, structured. So, uh, you know, writing it, I was, I was very, very proud of it. And I spent a lot of time, like, even just on the lyrics and that kind of stuff. Um, so even though it ended up sounding like maybe just a David Bowie song or something. I do, I do think it's a pretty cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. And I, I had, um, I, I recorded it along with a, with an actual live drummer. So it's got a way more like live band feel as opposed to, yeah. um, the, as opposed to just being in the box. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's take a listen. This is a hit and run by Dan Rico. The lonesome road Snapped stilettos in your hand Crunch of rocks between your toes The headlights swam And your makeup ran You were lost but found a way Yeah. 
just call you back. I wish I'd called you back. But never mind. more about uh moving to new york um you're from chicago originally and you know we're a big uh, a big player big presence in the chicago north side music scene Mm -hmm. uh and and you made this move what was behind your move to new york um i actually just i was bartending um in chicago as described earlier and the company I worked for offered to move me out here. They were opening a new restaurant and uh-huh. they said, Hey, we'll cover part of it. If you want to move to New York, you seem like the type of person who would want to move to New York. And uh-huh. basically I just couldn't say no. I didn't really have anything oh. that was holding me that strongly in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was playing in different groups and stuff, but the, the wonderment of a new place and, uh, the excitement specifically that I've always felt coming to New York was, you know, to, uh, too promising. So I, 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 uh, moved here mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, basically then I got here and it was such, it was a huge adjustment. Um, I worked a lot the first year I got here, which is I think what most people do. My rent mm-hmm. was triple the amount it was in Chicago. Uh-huh. Um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> <laughs> oh Yeah. So that was kind of a, that was an interesting, uh, shift. So you, so I've been here for, I've been in New York for over four years now, which by New York standards is not that long of a time, I guess, but it really still feels like I'm just coming out of the cocoon out here and like finding my, finding my footing and stuff. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I guess being back in, back in Chicago, I literally lived in the city my whole life and many of the friends that I have there I've known since I was you know, 13, 14, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, like a long, long time. I have far fewer friends out here. And most of them that I do have are not musicians. In fact, I don't think any of them were musicians. So, uh-huh. um, so basically just kind of finding my footing, um, I had to improvise and just go to random shows all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, try to just figure out what was going on. And it was, a uh, it was definitely a challenge to step outside of the step outside of my comfort zone and, you know, be alone a lot. And, uh, was it, was it hard? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I felt, I mean, it was, it was very, very difficult for me because I'm, um, you know, maybe many people could identify with this, but I'm a very social person, but also very shy when it comes to new people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, there's something, maybe it's, maybe it's just me. I kind of attribute it to a sort of Midwestern temperament, but there's an element of sort of being humble. And, um, I don't know, I guess like sort of like staying in your lane or something that, that is part of the way I approach social situations that maybe didn't work to my benefit being here. Like I, I don't feel very comfortable necessarily, um, extolling, all the things I've done 
or like my mm-hmm. skills as a musician or, um, you know, talking about what's coming up and, and that sort of thing. Just just your basic networking 101 wasn't really my forte, <laughs> uh-huh. I guess. So I, I don't know. I, I just had to adjust and learn. And, and it, was, it was tricky. And my world is a, um, it's a lot smaller in New York than it was in Chicago. You said something about, you know, having imposter syndrome or having it or maybe even having it. Uh... I, and I think you're saying when you move to New York, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, I've always had that, you know, I've always had that where somebody's like, Oh, great show. And I'm like, thank you. I really appreciate that you're saying that, but also in my head, I'm like, was it, <laughs> was it a great show? <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's imposter syndrome to some extent. Right. But, um, but yeah, coming here, you know, I felt a really great example of it the other, like when I was at South by Southwest just now, right? Mm-hmm. My band there, we we did the whole thing. We, you know, we played like nine shows in five days, running around the city, saw a bazillion bands. It was exactly what the South by Southwest experience looks like. You know, we played like an official showcase. Mm-hmm. But yet, and I've done that. That's like the fifth time I've done that with different bands. And yet I still feel like I can't really say I played South by Southwest. Whoa. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm over indulging myself by saying that. Like I did, like, I don't, I'm what I actually did doesn't live up to the experience that people expect. What do you mean? When you say something like that, like there's some sort of prestige to doing that, mm-hmm. that, um, that it's difficult for me to own. Not me because for some extent, I don't, to some extent, perhaps I don't think it's um, warranted, whatever prestige that would gain. Mm-hmm. And then for another extent, I'm like, maybe it is warranted, but I just didn't do that, you know? And, and that's an, that's sort of an example of that, that syndrome. And it's the same thing about, you know, about anything like trying to, um, you know, join a, a band I like playing guitar or something, you know, like, like I, I feel better now because I've, met people out here who have seen me play and been like, wow, you're like an amazing guitarist. And I'm like, really? You, you think so? That's so awesome. Dan, you know? <laughs> Dan, you are an amazing guitarist. I have seen you and heard you are an amazing bass player and amazing guitarist. You Thank are you. an amazing musician. Thank you. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's hard to, it's definitely very difficult for me to accept that and take yeah. it, take it seriously in a way where I can um, self-advocate, you know? Does it push you to become a better musician? Those feelings of doubt? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel very uncomfortable resting on my laurels, you know, and that, that was a big part of getting out of Chicago too, is that I just felt like I wasn't able to push myself and staying out of Chicago, you know, like here, like I, I struggle living in New York, but I feel very, very motivated to try to create new and better versions of what I'm doing all the time. Uh-huh. And whereas there, like, I knew I could be making the same exact kind of music at the same exact level I was doing, you know, eight or nine years ago and would still get not, and this is not a knock on Chicago. I, I love Chicago, but um, like I could be just as, you know, everybody else around me would feel just as satisfied with it or something. Whereas here I feel so, like okay. the urge to com- be more competitive and try to really like flush things out. Yeah. Competitive. It's bringing out some, some of those feelings or inspired, inspired yeah, competition. I'm not trying to bring other, I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. I just want to be as good. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or, have put as much thought into it and to like earn it. And um, one thing that I love about New York is that I, I I think I've been very inspired by like the lyrics that people write. 
it's like there's really um when i see bands play it it evokes this tradition of poetry that i hadn't thought about in a long time you know and so many you know so many of my favorite artists are from here um and it really feels like a part of that legacy to be creating music out here which is really special to me you know so here's something you said i'm i'm twisting away a little bit but you you brought up um before we started recording like being a musician and what that means or what that might mean to other people you know you you were kind of putting it in the context of dating especially i i was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit yeah absolutely um well it kind of dovetails with the, the whole idea of um advancing in age um hitting maybe age milestones that would normally correspond with um life changes you know maybe pat like you know getting married having kids that kind of stuff um those mm-hmm. you know a generation ago were things that happened in maybe your 20s and now maybe they're in your 30s and i'm you know uh canoeing through that time in my life <laughs> uh <laughs> <Canoeing>. yeah <laughs> but uh <laughs> but yeah and then you know um I guess coming out here and having sort of a blank slate socially has um, has allowed me to like reinterpret uh, how the people I meet might see me because instead of being surrounded by only um, you know friends, coworkers, you know fellow like service industry professionals, fellow musicians, mm-hmm. now it's just like everybody, and there's so many people doing so much cool stuff in New York. You know, yeah. not that, not that it's not, that's not true in Chicago, but it's just, you know, I feel like a small town kid in this big city sometimes. Yeah. It's you know, more, so, it's, it's a lot yeah, more. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, when people tell you what their job is, you like know what, you know, that company, you know, that brand, you know, that, that sort yeah. of thing. It can get a little starstruck or what have you. But, um, when responding to that, it's, it's all really about, you know, about confidence, I guess, but <laughs> responding to that being like, yeah, so, you know, I just kind of uh, hang out at my house and uh, I'm taking some time off and I just kind of write music, record music. I like to write songs. Mm-hmm. I like to think about things. I don't know. It, it just it, sometimes <laughs> sometimes it feels really uh, paltry in comparison. You know, it feels I, I, I feel self-conscious about being lazy or um, or not ambitious enough or not motivated enough. And um, even though I'm like, I'm proud of the, and, and, and feel very fortunate to have put myself in a position where I can even take off time to, to work on music exclusively or, or, mm-hmm. you know, or even when I am working a lot to still put aside a ton of time in order to create music consistently, it's been a huge part of my life. It's really, really, really important to me. I'm like, is this even a socially viable, um, endeavor? And, and, and if somebody else was talking to me, if a friend of mine was saying the same thing to me, I'd be like, yeah, music is, you know, it's, it, it adds so much to the fabric of, of, of society and life. And, um, and it's a necessity and, you know, do your fucking thing. Um, I still feel do that Do you mean way. in terms of getting a partner specifically? No, I mean, in terms of just like career viability in general. Okay. Partner as well, to some extent. Yeah. But I just mean in, in general, it's an issue. And I think that stems from Chicago where it was like, 
oh, I'm a musician. I'm in a band. And they're like, okay, but what do you really do? <laughs> like, what do you do for, you know, like, oh, how much money do you make doing that? You're like, oh, not that much. They're like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> you know, and I think that's a big part of it too is, and maybe it speaks to really, that's at the heart of it. It's just that like musicians are so woefully underpaid, you know? And uh, um, I've managed to like make a lifestyle where I can, can get money in other ways in order to um, sustain the musical practice or what have you. But yeah. I just don't, I don't really see a way for me to um, sustainably long-term be a full-time musician and keep making money, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. And because we live in this uh, aggressively capitalist society where everybody's, you know, maybe slightly brainwashed to feel like they have to work all the time and, and maintain this like really certain style of life that you don't necessarily, you can, but you don't necessarily have to. You know, and that's a very privileged perspective to have, but, you know, if you'll <laughs> ignore that for a second, uh, like it feels very at odds with that premise, I guess, to, to, to want to be a musician still, you know, even though, you know, there's not money in it or something. Yeah. You know, and to at the same time, want to exist in society and be able to go out to nice dinners and all that stuff, <laughs> you know, sure. And to be yeah. like, I mean, musicians, artists are kind of like connoisseurs of culture. Right. So it's like on the one hand, you're creating culture. And on the other hand, you're less adapted to participate in it because there's like this very low ceiling as far as how much you're able to make, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's kind of maybe at the heart of that struggle there is uh, the lack of provision kind of make it a little bit uh, uh, scary. (laughs) When as a musician, are you making, enough income to register as part of your income pie? Uh, no, not really. I mean, like here and there, some money from shows. My greatest hope is to make some, is to just record some awesome, some music that, um, that, you know, people stream a bazillion times or something and to get some sort of resonant, um, not resonant, but residual income consistently from that. So that's, that's definitely, I mean, and that's a, that's definitely a possibility. And also like going on tour and stuff, that's a possibility. Um, although maybe that's a little bit less sustainable in like the long, long term, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I mean, my, my model is basically revolved around working different jobs in order to support the music thing. Yeah. Because for a while I was like teaching lessons and doing that kind of thing, working in music in general, but I didn't find that as helpful because I thought I felt like the energy I was putting into those non-creative musical faculties was, was, um, was withdrawing energy from my ability to feel focused and happy making my own stuff. Yeah. 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 Totally. I can relate to that. You, uh, you mentioned that you quit drinking about eight months ago. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, I was just sort of feeling like just not feeling myself that much. I was, I was depressed and I wasn't really sure why. And I, uh, I just thought that drinking might be, um, like eliminating that variable would be a good way to move forward Mm -hmm. basically. Um, and so I stopped drinking and at the same time I was like, okay, I'm also just going to try to, I don't know, just nip this in the bud, like figure out what's going on. Um, so I started to take, I started therapy at the, around the same time mm-hmm. and, uh, also like actually visited a doctor, which I hadn't done in years. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and 
a couple things happened. First of all, the therapist I was seeing was just incredibly thrilled that I'd stopped drinking. It was like so ecstatic. Um, and it helped me shine a light on what seemed normal to me mm-hmm. as far as drinking goes, um, was to him like an unbelievable amount of alcohol consumption. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, cause, cause the culture that the, the musical culture, the bar culture, all that stuff that I've been a part of for so long, um, embodies drinking, you know, to the nth degree. It's just a huge part of it, totally. you know? So it's just like, it's not unusual to have, you know, five drinks in a night or something while you're, while you're between 9 PM and three 30 in the morning or whatever, whatever it is, you know, yeah. or even more. So it's, it's a, uh, and if you do that several nights a week, that's a lot, it's a lot, it's not good for your body or whatever. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot to, I could talk about with it, but basically that happened. And then I went to see the doctor and they're like, there's something up with your liver. Um, oh, no. yeah. And it yeah. turned out that my liver was like, uh, was, uh, enlarged and uh what's called like fatty liver so it's like a a reversible condition if you stop drinking basically okay but you know if it continues it can be deadly over time what have you so i was like i'm gonna take this really seriously so i just stopped and i didn't find Mm -hmm. it that hard to actually stop i don't Mm -hmm. i didn't have like physical withdrawal symptoms or anything like that so um so i i was like i'm lucky enough to be able to actually do this to have like the willpower to do it and so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stop and um and then it was awesome, <laughs> you know, like it, it really helps in terms of, for instance, like not spending money mm-hmm. um, and which has helped me be able to maintain this creative practice, for instance. And um, yeah, just kind of divorcing my lifestyle from drinking, but still being eager to participate in the good parts of it um, was has, has been really uh meaningful for me, like to be able to, like, I still hang out at bars, at venues all the time, mm-hmm. you know, I'll drink soda or non-alcoholic beer or whatever. And I still get just as much enjoyment out of hanging out with my friends and hanging out late and doing the same things I used to do, but taking out it all out of the equation, has just made me feel more, um, more present, more in control of myself. What I realized is that I guess one reason to drink is to, um, eliminate you know, hangups that you might have mm-hmm. or things that keep you like inhibitions. Yeah. Inhibitions. Exactly. And, um, you know, it can be helpful for that for sure. But I sort of was just like, why am I inhibited? Why don't, if I can eliminate those without drinking, uh-huh. you know, that's just all of a sudden these things that I love about my personality when I'm drunk can just be my personality, uh-huh. you know, and I've, I've really strived to do that and kind of like be in the moment. And I think that's what people talk about when they say they're going to be present or what have you, you know, Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been nice. It's been great. But you know, I've given myself a couple of hall passes where I was like, maybe I will try a beer. And then every time I start, I'm just like, actually, no, I don't want to do it. So it's been a, it's been a good situation so far. That's great. That's really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like I have so many friends who are like, that, that was the hardest part is people just like dropping their jaws in astonishment at the fact that I was going to stop drinking. Yeah. Like my friends who, a lot of my friends drink kind of heavily and, um, I just felt a lot, there was a lot of shame there. Cause I was like, man, I did something so bad to myself that I have to like, basically like totally rearrange my life. But as I saw the positive effects, like the shame kind of went away and I just felt actually pretty good about it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I would definitely encourage anybody who's listening to, if, if you're, if you're in feeling doubtful at all about the amount that you drink, 
you know, give it a shot. There's no, there's no, there's literally no harm in not drinking as far as I can tell, you know, there was no bad side. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was, that was, that was nice to learn. You know, it was nice to learn that there was, there was a light at the end of the tunnel kind of with that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you talked about that and, and shared that. I think it's been, you know, as I've done these interviews and just in my personal life, knowing more and more people who are not drinking uh, and more people talking about that, I think it's inspires other people who might also be thinking about that or thinking about their own relationship with alcohol to see other people do it and hear the benefits Yeah, of it. So thanks for sharing that. I have, I have one more question for you. And then, then I want to talk about, you know, what you have coming up cool. that people can look out for. Um, my last question is as a musician, how do you define success for yourself? I guess two things come to mind and both, both of which we've sort of already touched on. But um, the first would be just creative fluidity. Uh-huh. Um, creating, just cre- creating um, compositions, words, et cetera, that, um, that feel true. Mm-hmm. and will maintain their their meaningfulness to me personally over time and that hopefully resonate with others as well. Mm-hmm. That's like, I mean, I think that's the big one is just like being proud of the things you make is a huge, is a huge thing for me, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, I guess the gold standard or what have you, is financial sustainability. That's it. It's not even like being famous or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was on tour um, last late last year with with one of the bands I play in Dropper, and we opened for another band, and it was like these guys, uh, Rolling Blackout, Coastal Fever. They're uh, an Australian band, and they're all like cousins and brothers, mm-hmm. really super nice guys, and they're just like touring around the United States, like you know, selling a bunch of merch and doing their thing, and they have other lives outside of music as well. But um, I was I was really inspired by it. I was like, man, this is this is pretty much what I want to be doing. I love being on tour. I love traveling. I love I love waking up every day and knowing it'll be a little bit different than the day before it. Um, and so I think that's. I'm hoping that when I get to that point where I can be on you know touring and um, supporting myself financially through the music I make, that that'll be my version of success. Honestly, um, when I don't have to <laughs> bartend anyone. <laughs> What do you have coming up where, and where can people find your music? Yeah. Okay. So right now, um, I don't really have any physical media. I've got a couple tapes and stuff for sale on, on my band camp. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's all anywhere on the internet that you could look, you can find my music, Dan Rico. I have been releasing a string of singles, two of which we heard tonight, and there'll be several more, um, and those will, I will collate into a album uh-huh. um, probably this summer at this point is where it's looking at, which honestly, I think, you know, I've worked so hard on each of these songs that I think they'll be really good and it'll be a good piece of work and people will enjoy it, I hope. And then, yeah, I've also been co-writing um, with this band High Wasted. That's a New York band. They've been kind of like a staple, like punk surf rock group out here for a while. And uh, we had some during COVID, like the whole lineup got shaken up and I started um collaborating with the, the singer um, and actually writing a bunch of the songs. Uh-huh. Um, so it's been really fun to, and exciting for me to like write songs in somebody else's voice. 
Um, and she's, you know, she's, uh, like an amazing singer and has a totally different range than I do. And also like having, you know, the words I write come out of like, a a, a woman's mouth is like a totally different experience, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's been really cool. Uh-huh. Um, and we're releasing, we just released a couple songs that I alluded to earlier, the Groovadelic vibe. And we've got a few more coming out. Um, so I would really appreciate if any, you know, anybody listening, if you're curious to keep an eye out for, um, or check out High Wasted, High Wasted's music, um, as well as the other band I play in Dropper. We are also, we just downloaded a bunch of songs and should have some new stuff out soon. And we'll probably go out on tour um, with both these bands later this year. Awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Dan, so much. You're very welcome. Your it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me and, and listening. <laughs> Okay, I want to thank Dan Rico for his time today. It's always good to catch up with Dan. And I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. Visit Music Therapy Podcast for previous episodes and upcoming events. Please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Come on out to our group session at Cafe Mustache, Wednesday, May 10th, featuring OVFL. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Peace and love until I see you again.